Welcome to National Parks Traveler, where we explore the national parks and the issues that involve them. This is Kurt Repencheck, your host at National Parks Traveler. Wildfires along the West Coast continue to spew smoke, but Yosemite and Kings Canyon National Parks saw their air quality improve enough to reopen this past week. Also reopening was the Emerald Pools Trail Network at Zion National Park in Utah. It had been closed for the past decade by storm damage, mud and landslides, and rehabilitation work. We also offered a story on the Chesapeake Bay and the park units that touch it, and on efforts to create a Chesapeake Bay National Recreation Area as part of the national park system. There also was somber news from the parks, however. A young Ohio man hunting moose in Wrangell St. Elias National Park and Preserve in Alaska was fatally mauled by a grizzly bear. And another young man died in whiteout conditions on the flanks of Mount Rainier National Park in Washington State. You can find those stories and more about national parks and protected areas at nationalparkstraveler.org. In this week's show, we look at a national park site that celebrates distinctly American music, the Blue Ridge Music Center near Galax, Virginia, along the Blue Ridge Parkway. Travelers Lynn Riddick spoke with the director of the Blue Ridge Music Center to find out what's happening there in the interpretation, presentation, and promotion of traditional American mountain music. We'll kick it off with a clip from the Chatham Rabbits, who recently performed at the center. I've been sitting here thinking Back all of my life And all of the good things The trouble and strife And my share of heartache All the many I've had The Blue Ridge Music Center sits just about at the midpoint along the 469-mile Blue Ridge Parkway. The parkway courses along the crest of the Blue Ridge Mountains from Shenandoah National Park in Virginia to Great Smoky Mountains National Park in North Carolina, providing spectacular views of the Appalachian Mountains all along the way. Traditional mountain music has its roots in these hills, and to talk more about how that music is celebrated through the National Park Service and the Blue Ridge Parkway Foundation is Blue Ridge Music Center director Richard Emmett, joining us from Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Hi, Richard. Welcome to The Traveler. Hi, Lynn. Thanks for having me. Happy to be on the podcast. I was surprised to learn that the National Park Service operates a music center. Can you tell us a little bit about it in general and how it got started? I understand some napkin sketches may have been involved. That's right. Uh, At the time, the National Council for Traditional Arts Executive Director Joe Wilson, who is responsible for starting the trend of having the National Folk Festival move around the country to a different community every three years, uh, was interested in finding a a home for a museum and a facility that would uh, highlight, promote, preserve, and interpret mountain music in the area in which he thought it, it got its start. And uh, he he met with uh, Gary Everhart, who was then the superintendent of the Blue Ridge Parkway, and they kind of sketched out some ideas on a napkin. 
in a restaurant. And uh, a number of years later, uh, they were able to make uh, that sketch on a napkin a reality by getting some funding from the Department of Interior and the federal government, as well as some local sources to kind of uh, plan plan for it first and then actually build what is now the Blue Ridge Music Center. What year did the center open? Uh, the outdoor amphitheater where the concerts are held uh, opened in 2002, and the visitor center and interpretive center opened in 2005. Uh, but the uh, permanent exhibit was only installed in 2011. So it was kind of a series of openings over the years of the various parts of the facility. And you mentioned Department of Interior funding. Do you have other sources of funding as well? So uh, the, that was funding to uh, to plan for and then to build the exhibit. Uh, the city of Galax gave a lot of the land uh, from from what was their watershed uh, to the Blue Ridge Parkway uh, for the facility to actually be built. Uh, the Appalachian Regional Commission gave some funding. Uh, the National Council for Traditional Arts through the Blue Ridge Institute uh, was able to get some additional funding. And so there was there was additional funding, particularly for the exhibit installation. Uh, but one of the interesting things about the Music Center is it's one of only two national park facilities in the country uh, that's devoted to um, interpreting and presenting and promoting an authentic, original form of American roots music. And uh, the other one is located in New Orleans, Louisiana. It's the National Jazz Historic Park. Your center is at milepost 213 along the parkway, and it sits on the Virginia side of the border where Virginia and North Carolina meet, about 10 miles east of Galax, Virginia. Um, You mentioned the watershed. How else would you describe the setting? It sounds very out of the way. It's a beautiful uh, site, kind of located, as you mentioned, right across the North Carolina border in Virginia. So we're at uh, the outdoor amphitheater is located at the base of Fisher Peak, which is one of the highest points in that area along the parkway that looks down over into the valley on a clear day. You can see a pilot mountain, uh, which is headed towards Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Uh, so it's got a great view if you're at the top of Fisher Peak, but um, the amphitheater is located on the other side of the hill. But on on an evening when we have a concert and it's a beautiful night, the moon kind of comes up over the amphitheater. Uh, the concert goers are, are in a big natural outdoor amphitheater right on the parkway, and it's just a gorgeous setting. There's some hiking trails uh, that folks can make use of and uh, see the scenery when they come to the music center. Uh, one of those trails is called the Fisher Peak Loop Trail. It's a kind of moderate to strenuous a uh, 2.5-mile loop, and the other is an easier hike called the High Meadow Trail, which is part of one of our uh, fellow programs, the Kids in Park program of the Blue Ridge Parkway Foundation. And, and the Kids in Park programs has a series of track trails throughout the country. And so this is a track trail with some activities on the trail for kids and families to take part in as they learn about nature, the birds of the area, the woods that are used to make instruments that the musicians play. Uh, So it's a great location. Um, Our Midday Mountain Music Program, which takes place every day 
The Music Center is open and features local and regional traditional musicians performing on our open air but covered breezeway. Allows folks to sit while looking at Fisher Peak and the mountain and uh, enjoy some great regional mountain and traditional music. It sounds great. Um, Do you draw mostly from area residents for concerts or do you get folks from a broader area? A little bit of both. We definitely get uh, some locals who enjoy the music, particularly uh, folks come to see the mountain music on a regular basis uh, and the concerts too. But for for our concerts and for the music center in general, we draw from a pretty wide variety of places, um, certainly from some of the larger urban areas that are closest to the music center. So within a two-hour drive, um, the Piedmont Triad communities of Winston-Salem, Greensboro, and High Point, Charlotte, North Carolina, Roanoke, Virginia, and even people come from Raleigh-Durham, the Boone and Blowing Rock areas of North Carolina. So people come from all around, but there's also in in non-COVID years, uh, a lot of international travelers and a lot of people from around the country, particularly the Mid-Atlantic and New York and such come and visit. Um, A lot of people travel the parkway And so we get a variety of visitors, both international and domestic, as well as local. Let's talk a little more about the music. What makes mountain music, mountain music? Well, you know, the story that's told in our Roots of American Music exhibit is the story of how Uh, mountain music came to be, and that is uh, generally uh, the story of the European, uh, mostly English, but Scotch-Irish fiddle uh, meeting with the African banjo and the antecedents to the banjo in the Tidewater, and uh, as the Great Wagon Road led to folks settling into the Appalachian Blue Ridge Mountain region. And the meeting of those two instruments led to the development of old-time string band music, which uh, was influential uh, in terms of influencing uh, lots of other forms of American music. It developed into bluegrass later on in the 50s and 60s, but also influenced and was influenced by parlor music and the development of the guitar in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And, and then uh, help kind of influence some of our jazz, bluegrass, gospel, all that kind of stuff uh, kind of came out of that in the, t- in the era of the radio and the record. Well, mountain music is so distinctive. The, the vocal style, the tempo, it's a blending of so many different cultures. Who were some of the most influential musicians in the evolution of mountain music? From the mill, Washington Mill in Freeze, Virginia, Henry Witter was one of the first recording artists to be recorded there. Um, Ernest Thompson and Ernest Stoneman are two other musicians from the area, um, the Blue Ridge. And, you know, they, they influenced lots of music. Most people are familiar with the, the Carter family. With the roses so red and the lilies so fine. 
And the Carter family is from the Western Virginia Coalfields area. And they became known through the Big Bang of country music, as it's called, of uh, the 1927 recording sessions in Bristol, uh, Virginia. And a lot of those musicians that were at those sessions uh, were from uh, the Blue Ridge region, uh, except for another one who became famous, and that was Jimmy Rogers. I had a friend named Ramblin' Bob who used to steal, gamble, and rob. He thought he was the smartest guy in town. And so uh, that was the first uh, large-scale recording uh, of mountain music that kind of made its way into most people's homes. Um, the Carter family became very well known through radio a little bit later on in the 30s uh, when they hosted a show on a, a Mexican radio station that was uh, in Mexico because it was able to be able to have a much uh, stronger signal than was allowed in America at the time. And you could hear it all over the country and they played a very popular show. And so that music became very famous. And the Carter family is kind of one of the touchstones of mountain music uh, in the area. But there are many bands that go back and are, have been continued on by contemporary musicians like the Hillbillies, uh, which Hillbilly music got its name from. He tore down the road like a wild, scared rabbit. I took out behind him just as fast as I could run. He made one leap across the fence in the meadow. He landed, bodied up, presenting old B gum. Uh, that kind of were formed in a barber shop in Galax in in the late 20s, early 30s, and the Ballard's Branch Bob Trouters are another big name in that area for old time music. In, in fact. Um, First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt visited it in the mid-30s and attended the White Top Mountain Folk Festival, um, which was one of the most popular folk festivals at the time. Uh, and it was a kind of the time when a lot of these festivals and fiddle conventions were founded. Um, and, and when the music was being spread and played by a lot of people. And, and then again, in the 60s and 70s, there was a folk revival and the fiddle conventions gained popularity again. And many folks came from around the country uh, down to the Blue Ridge region to learn from some of the master musicians of mountain music who had carried on that tradition from those folks who had passed it on from the early 1900s. When you are black, my dear, oh dear, oh, when you are black, Jenny Jenkins. Had mentioned the wagon road and of course you know the recording of songs and the spreading of uh, the music on the radio and then the development of all these different music festivals expand a little bit about that because I think it's really interesting when you see the migration of people down that wagon road and how the music sort of followed that path after the settlements on the coasts of the Tidewater and up through Philadelphia and New Amsterdam um, was getting a little bit more crowded. People were seeking their own land and also to get away from some of the pressures of living in a colonial uh, run area. Um, they migrated to, to find their own land and settle their own communities down the wagon road. So from Philadelphia and the Tidewater, they came all the way 
the wagon road went all the way down into Georgia, but a lot of folks, including uh, folks around here in Winston-Salem, where I am, the communities of Bethabra, Bethania, and the original Salem settlement came from some of the Moravian settlers who were traveling down from Pennsylvania. But uh, folks came over from the Tidewater, and they they settled in lands and mixed and mingled uh, in order to make a living and trade uh, for goods that they needed in order to help their communities survive. And then they also shared the music of their communities uh, through brush arbor singing, through barn dances and harvest dances. And uh, those shared experiences led to the music kind of developing from the different strands we mentioned before, but then also when the radio came about, people could hear different styles of music, whether it be a ragtime jazz or a little bit of blues or some ballad traditions from the region. And then then you really started having the music kind of mix all up because people didn't have to necessarily hear it in person to be influenced by it. And so different strands of music were played throughout the country, which was at that time, you know, the the frontier was probably Kentucky and in the South, you know, for, for the, the American settlements in Georgia. And uh, and that, that music led to the development of, of other things. So it really was the radio and recording industry that was able to spread these different styles of music that were you know, originated in certain regions around the country. And then um, it led to some further developments that took the music into, you know, shows uh, like circuses and and then later on vaudeville. Uh, and it developed from there. This is Lynn Riddick, and I'm speaking with Richard Emmett from the Blue Ridge Music Center. We'll have more about the center and more music after this short break. Listener and reader support make National Parks Traveler possible every day of the year. If you enjoy the Traveler's content, please consider a donation via nationalparkstraveler.org. The Blue Ridge Parkway Foundation is the primary nonprofit fundraising partner for the Blue Ridge Parkway. It is made up of people who have a deep love for this majestic road and want to ensure that its natural beauty and the experiences that it offers endure for generations to come. You can show your appreciation at brpfoundation.org. Washington State is graced with three spectacular national parks, each different and special in their own unique ways. As the official nonprofit partner and the only philanthropic organization dedicated exclusively to supporting these parks through charitable contributions, Washington's National Park Fund has a mission to deepen the public's love for, understanding of, and experiences in Mount Rainier, North Cascades, and Olympic National Parks. Share your passion for these parks at WNPF.org. Acadia National Park is one of the 10 most popular national parks in the United States. It's also one of the smallest and most vulnerable. That's why Friends of Acadia exists. Friends of Acadia is an independent organization of passionate people inspiring those who love this magnificent park to make a real and lasting difference for Acadia. You can make a difference at friendsofacadia.org. The North Cascades Institute has a large portfolio. 
It's an environmental learning center, a training center, a conference center, and a leadership center, all set in the splendor of the North Cascades National Park Complex. Learn more at ncascades.org. The Grand Teton National Park Foundation is a private, nonprofit organization that supports projects that protect and enhance Grand Teton National Park's cultural, historic, and natural resources. By funding initiatives that go beyond what the National Park Service could accomplish on its own, Foundation donors improve the visitor experience and provide benefits to the National Park System for decades to come. See their successes at gtnpf.org. I'm back with Richard Emmett from the Blue Ridge Music Center near Galax, Virginia. Richard, the center has traditionally offered live music during the spring, summer, and fall, both on your stage indoors and in your outside amphitheater. How have you adjusted your offerings during the pandemic? Well, we are thankful. Uh, in Virginia, uh, on July 1st, uh, Virginia went into phase three, which allowed some outdoor gatherings uh, with uh, reduced capacity. And we felt because we had a big outdoor amphitheater that we could safely host some smaller concerts. So we were able to host five concerts this year. Normally we would have 15 or 16 uh, with some bigger ones having, you know, thousand to 2000 people. But this year we limited, limited the amount of people in the amphitheater and uh, our shows averaged about 250 socially distanced uh, people or groups in the, in the amphitheater. So we were able to do that. We also were able to uh, set up socially distanced seating in a safe way for our midday mountain music, because that is also in the open air breezeway. Uh, we do feel like in an outdoor setting, it allows less opportunity for possible spread of COVID. So I think people felt comfortable and we felt we could do it safely. So we've continued our midday music, although we didn't get started till middle of the summer. And we only had, like I said, five smaller concerts. So we were happy to be able to do that. People were very thankful and appreciative that they could take a respite from kind of these stressful and difficult times and come listen to some mountain music on a beautiful hillside on the parkway. So we were grateful for that. But we are also, like others, pivoting to some online uh, content. And we are getting ready to uh, release the first uh, in what will be a series of online interviews uh, hosted by uh, folk musician Laurelyn Dossett, interviewing women in bluegrass and American roots music about uh, how uh, their experience as a woman in, in roots music has been and what the difficulties are and what they've had to overcome. And that is all kind of in honor of uh, the 100th anniversary of the suffragette movement and uh, with a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts and also some support from the National Parks Foundation. And we're excited to be able to offer those programs online. Uh, we will probably be doing some other online content uh, throughout the end of this year and early next year. And so we're, we're, we're learning uh, about uh, how we can continue to provide programs that educate and entertain about mountain music in this era and COVID day and age. Who are some of the musicians who've performed there? We have a variety of musicians. First, we have some of our master mountain musicians that may be well-known 
locally, but sometimes also nationally and internationally, uh, both National Heritage Award winners and Virginia, North Carolina, Tennessee Heritage Award winners. Uh, but we also have some more contemporary performers who are, are known in the folk Americana, bluegrass, and blues. Uh, and then we we have lots of local and some of the younger acts carrying forward the tradition. So to name some of them, I mean, that people would recognize. Uh, Doc Watson has performed at the Blue Ridge Music Center before he passed. Ralph Stanley as well. We've had Allison Krauss, Ricky Skaggs, and Jerry Douglas perform there. Some of the uh, local performers that are maybe not as internationally well-known, except for music aficionados, would be guitarist Wayne Henderson, uh, pianist Jeff Little, and some of the family bands that have been carrying forward the traditions uh, for many generations, the White Top Mountain Band with the Spencer family, Willard Gayhart and Scott Freeman, and Willard's granddaughter and Scott's daughter, Dory Freeman, uh, a great local family of musicians. Um, but we've had folks like the Carolina Chocolate Drops. Rihanna Giddens and Dom Flemons have both performed there. Um, we have had Della May, an all-female bluegrass group, that has performed there. Uh, Mandolin is Sarah Hole, who's won many awards, has been on our stage, and many, many more. Um, uh, we're happy to be able to be a place where you can see both nationally renowned performers as well as some of the up-and-coming local and younger performers. And attendance is free at these performances, is that correct? Our mountain music, uh, midday mountain music performances, our daily performances in the Breezeway are free. The concert series, there is a charge. And depending on the artist, that's usually anywhere from $10 uh, to $30. Sounds like a bargain. I I think it is. Uh, We have a lot of people. uh, We sell a a half-season pass and uh, pick three so you can attend any three concerts. And we we get almost 300 people that uh, purchase those passes annually. And so um, I think we've built quite a good group of people that love to come out to the music center on a regular basis to hear the concerts or see the midday music, uh, to enjoy the exhibit when it's open. Unfortunately, it's not this year because of COVID, but most years it is. And also we have a great gift shop run by Americans National Parks that allows them to take a piece of the music center home with them. And here's a little clip from Cane Mill Road, one of the groups who has performed at the center. The song is titled Rust. One, two, three, four. Well, I spend my days in a deep, dark mine. Digging out coal and biding my time. Oh, I'm going to get out of this town someday. You mentioned the center has several museum exhibits. 
one, the roots of American music, and another, radio and recording. Um, tell us about some of the most interesting or most significant artifacts that you house in these exhibits. Sure. I, I would say one of the highlight uh, of, of the exhibit, besides the educational information about the history of mountain music and how, how it came to be uh, with the introduction of the fiddle and the banjo, would be the artifacts. And, and those are instruments, uh, both some historic instruments, but as well as contemporary instruments. Um, when I mentioned Wayne Henderson, the guitarist, well, he's just as well known as a a luthier and a Wayne Henderson guitar is, is uh, quite a quite a treat for anybody. He doesn't make he has made a lot of them, but he doesn't make a lot every year. There was a book written about him making a guitar for Eric Clapton. So we have a Wayne Henderson guitar. We have uh, Jimmy Edmonds, who's the grandson of Norman Edmonds, one of our historic musicians in the region. One of his fiddles, Jimmy makes instruments as well. There's a big trade in instrument making in our area because of these traditions. Um, we have some historic banjos, uh, both of the gourd and early banjo era variety, as well as more contemporary banjos. So I would definitely say, you know, if you, if you like instruments and like to learn about the history of instruments in America, that is definitely one of the highlights of the exhibit. I was also interested to learn that you have several music park rangers there at the center. What kind of things do they do there? So uh, the music rangers is, is kind of uh, was reserved for Janet Bachman, who uh, until this year when she retired last winter uh, was who, who we called the music ranger. And that is because Janet has been involved from the very beginning of the planning of the music center and was the first and only uh, director and lead ranger at the music center. She didn't necessarily play an instrument, but she was very knowledgeable about the history of music in the region. And we affectionately called her the music ranger. Uh, but there are uh, a number of rangers uh, that are Blue Ridge Parkway employees, National Park Service employees that are knowledgeable about the musical history and instruments of the area. Some that do even play instruments, uh, Kyle Stanley who was a ranger for three three years for us. He was a banjo player and would often join our Midday Mountain musicians. Aubrey Arrington, who's a park partner ranger now, demonstrates the dulcimer at the Music Center along with other demonstrations that are given there about the musical history of the area. So we, we refer to our rangers at the Music Center as music rangers. Are you a musician yourself? I am not. Uh, I, I am an appreciator of music and have been involved in the arts and arts presentation for a long time. Um, I like connecting artists and audiences, and I love history. Uh, but I am not a not a performer. Although one day, when I retire, maybe that's something I will learn to do. What would you like to take up if you had the time? I think I've definitely. Uh, um, Either the banjo or the fiddle. The banjo seems a little easier than the fiddle, so probably be or, or or the mandolin. A lot of people say mandolin's one of the easier instruments to pick up. Although um, in the hands of a master mandolinist, uh, it, it is something to behold. So um, not an easy instrument to master, but maybe an easier one to pick up. So any of those three, I'm not sure yet. It's hard to hard to know. Well, something to shoot for when you get to retirement age. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. 
Now, the center is also part of two music heritage trails, the Crooked Road in Virginia and the Blue Ridge Music Trail. Can you tell us a little bit about them and how the center is tied in? Yeah, the, we like to think of ourselves as a portal and a gateway to the region, being that we sit on the state line of Virginia and North Carolina. Folks that are uh, taking in the Blue Ridge Music Trails of North Carolina coming up from North Carolina into Virginia and folks uh, exploring the Virginia Musical Heritage Trails, which is called the Crooked Road, uh, often kind of meet at the Music Center because we are a kind of the meeting point of those two trails. Uh, we are one of the nine major venues along the Crooked Road, uh, which highlights the musical heritage of Virginia and was also uh, created in part by Joe Wilson, along with the Southwestern Virginia Cultural Heritage Foundation. The North Carolina Music Trails were was the brainchild of Wayne Martin, who's the director of the North Carolina Arts Council and the folk life section there. And it highlights many communities and venues uh, that present traditional music in the area. There are, we like to point out and have this information on our website, there are a lot of great venues to see mountain music outside of the Blue Ridge Music Center. And a lot of, uh, almost any day, or I should say evening, there's a jam that takes place, which is kind of a community gathering of people that play and they gather around in a circle now, of course, this year that isn't happening as much, uh, but in most other years, on any day, you can kind of, if you're a performer or player or picking up an instrument, uh, you can join in a jam within a 20-mile radius of the music center. Uh, you can find a place to play on any night of the week. Um, there are also many other great venues uh, to visit within the area, the Floyd Country Store in Floyd, Virginia, the birthplace of Country Museum in Bristol that highlights the big bang of country music. There's also uh, the Reeves Theater in Elkin, uh, North Carolina. Just uh, So we like to, people that come to the Music Center, we like to inform them about all the other opportunities for them to experience and learn about mountain music in surrounding communities along the parkway. Well, there's nothing like live music, especially now when we've sort of been deprived of it for so long. Yes, for sure. Uh, I've had many compliments from folks visiting this summer, as I said, um, that they were so glad to be able to hear some music and sit in the beauty of the parkway and, and just get away from the day to day. And I know for musicians who make a living uh, or, or at least uh, uh, avocation and the sidelight of performing and playing that for them to be on stage sharing their talents and their expertise and their knowledge of music with audiences is something that they they live for and so those opportunities which are few and far between these days are very meaningful to them as well is there anything else you'd like to mention about the center that we haven't covered uh, just you know the blue ridge parkway foundation my employer uh, manages the music programs at the Music Center, but also is uh, the not-for-profit partner, one of the not-for-profit partners of the Blue Ridge Parkway. And so uh, the foundation raises funds to support the parkway with lots of, uh, of the programs or assets that they have that maybe are falling into disrepair and they don't have enough funding or enough staff support to uh, bring them back to life. And so my organization, the Parkway Foundation, is a great 
partner to the Parkway, and the Parkway is a great partner to us. Uh, the Parkway is a wonderful asset uh, to the Blue Ridge region, both in North Carolina and Virginia, and we are so grateful to be able to have that in our backyard. Any community that has one of our wonderful national parks obviously knows how valuable they are to the community and to the people of the country to be able to have those kind of places that are not developed in the ways that some of our other cities and towns have become and, and take us back to the early or days of our country. And, and so to have those facilities and to have the parkway staff maintain them and operate them and keep all those facilities open on the 469 miles of America's favorite drive is, is quite unbelievable, really. And I kind of, every time I go up to the music center or another place on the parkway, I'm reminded of that and thankful that I have the opportunity to do what I do and that we all have the opportunity to visit and enjoy these special places in our country. Absolutely. Well, Richard, I've always liked mountain music and it's been great learning so much about it today and the work that you do at the Blue Ridge Music Center. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Lynn. It's been great talking with you and I uh, appreciate you giving me the time to talk about the Music Center on your program.
That's our show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, if you have suggestions for future podcasts, you can reach us at news at nationalparkstraveler.org. Next week, we'll be holding a roundtable discussion on current events in the National Park System with Kristen Brengel of the National Parks Conservation Association and Sheridan Steele, a veteran of nearly four decades in the National Park Service. For The Traveler, this is Kurt Rappencheck. The composers and musicians at Orange Tree Productions have created a unique collection known as the National Park Series that has grown to include more than 30 CD titles. Composed against the backdrop of a park's sounds of nature, these musical scores will connect you with these beautiful places and take you there, at least in your mind. This collection is the number one selling National Park audio series in the world and provides the background music for National Park's Travelers podcast. Visit them at orangetreeproductions.com. Editing and production work for the National Parks Traveler podcast series is done by Splitbeard Productions. You can find out more about us at splitbeardproductions.com. National Parks Traveler is a 501c3 nonprofit media organization that provides daily editorial coverage of national parks and protected areas. Traveler's coverage is made possible by reader and listener donations. Visit us at nationalparkstraveler.org.